Follow along as I read the Scripture text this morning, verses 11 through 19. Luke 17, 11 through 19. On the way to Jerusalem, he was passing along between Samaria and Galilee. And as he entered a village, he was met by ten lepers who stood at a distance and lifted up their voices, saying, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. When he saw them, he said to them, Go and show yourselves to the priests. And as they went, they were cleansed. Then one of them, when he saw that he was healed, turned back, praising God with a loud voice. And he fell on his face at Jesus' feet, giving him thanks. Now he was a Samaritan. Then Jesus answered, Were not ten cleansed? Where are the nine? Was no, was no one found to return and give thanks to God except this foreigner? And he said to them, Rise and go your way. He said to him, Rise and go your way. Your faith has made you well. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our Lord endures forever. Let's pray together. Father, we come to you now, as has already been prayed, as has already been sung. We want to come needy. We want to come in the truthfulness of who we actually are, and that is dependent creatures. We need you. So may all false pretense just be checked at the door, and may we see ourselves as you see us and glean from this story, this true story of your mercy on these lepers. May this truth penetrate our hearts this morning for your glory and our good. It's in Christ we pray. Amen. 2023, here we are. A new year is upon us. And in many ways, within a span of five and a half weeks, right, we have, we have gone through three major holidays, as we always do, beginning with Thanksgiving, kind of climaxing with Christmas, and then here, finalizing or finishing out with New Year's Day. Gifts have been given, no doubt. Fancy meals have been prepared. Families have gathered, lots and lots of money has been spent, as we know well. And the widespread cultural after-effects of all of this is once again just a deep and abiding sense of gratitude and thanksgiving and appreciation, right? Not so much. Probably not. Perhaps here and there, but predictably, just the opposite is sadly the case. We know we don't slip into the habit of thankfulness or thanksgiving. Rather, the gravitational pull of our hearts is always away from gratitude and toward what we fixate on that we think we lack. Kids, maybe you got more presents than this, this year than any other year. This is a pretty good year in that sense. And maybe you still love playing with those gifts. I hope you do. But let's be honest with each other for just a minute. When you open that last present and you thought, oh, cool, 
did you not think, isn't there just one more hiding on that far side of the tree? Is that it, you might have said? I certainly heard that phrase at our Christmas morning. Is that, is that all? <laughs> There's always that moment, eventually. But doesn't that remind you, even, even the children among us, even with all the blessings and the gifts we might receive, that hunger for, I just want a little bit more. Maybe a little bit more, and then my heart will be satisfied. Right? We just want a little more of whatever we love. An article appeared in Forbes magazine last year entitled, Gratitude is Good, Why It's Important and How to Cultivate It. The article is written from a general wellness point of view, so arguing for the physical and emotional and mental benefits of cultivating a mindset of gratitude. The article cites a number of different studies that each demonstrate how grateful people are far more patient, happy, satisfied, enjoyers of healthy relationships and meaningful community. And the article encourages people to begin and end each day by rehearsing what they're thankful for, what they're grateful for, and to even journal those thoughts so you have a permanent record of them. Certainly, that's pretty good counsel that Christians can by and large heartily commend as common grace realization that things such as envy or lust or bitterness or ingratitude are nothing short of poison to the body and the soul. Even as the secular article highlights, ingratitude is just downright bad for you. But does the practice, albeit has some positive aspects, this practice of simply telling yourself all the things for which you're thankful for, does it fulfill the Bible's vision of this virtue that is, in Jesus' estimation, critical to saving faith. Well, the story of the ten lepers, or better stated, the story of the thankful Samaritan leper, reveals much of what Jesus thinks about the relationship between His grace towards us and then our response to Him. So we can be sure of this. Genuine gratitude must be rooted in the mercy and the power of Christ. So let's first consider together some of the surrounding context that situates the story that we, will, we have just read and understand a bit of the historical and cultural context at work. So since chapter 9 in Luke's gospel here, he's been slowly working and walking the reader in this Jesus' journey towards Jerusalem. So in chapter, way back in chapter 5, Luke writes, When the days drew near for him to be taken up, he set his face to go to Jerusalem. And on they went, entering village after village, sending out messengers right and left to proclaim the kingdom of God. And so in this ten-chapter-long journey, you might say, toward Jerusalem, there's a series of, of five different miracles. The healing of the ten lepers in chapter 17 is the fourth miracle in this series. The preceding parable right before it, verses 7 through 10 of chapter 17, 
This parable that directly precedes the healing of the ten lepers is often noted as the parable of the unworthy servant. It teaches that faithfulness in God's economy really earns no special merit badge, no special reward, but it's rather a foundational requirement of those who will gladly enjoy entrance into the kingdom. God owes no man gratitude is the clear principle we should walk away from that preceding parable here. We must remember, this is our Father's world. We are guests and tenants in the cosmos that He has created. The kingdom He is preparing is not one in which we get to call the shots or dictate terms in any way. He's not fortunate to have us on His team like franchise players that generate revenue for the owner of the team, and they're really thankful for that franchise player, and they want to sort of work contracts to make sure everything's good with their key, key individual. No. So this parable sets the stage, though, for revealing to us we are all but unworthy servants in the Master's house if we know Christ. It sets the stage for this true story Luke will now tell on the nature of genuine gratitude. So in verse 11, the stage is set for this extraordinary cleansing by our Lord. So we see the setting here in verse, verse 17. Jesus is moving east to west along the boundary between Samaria and Galilee. So Galilee to the north here, Samaria to the south here. He's moving uh, east to west, so in this general direction here. Carefully mapping geography is not Luke's primary concern here by any stretch. It's not so much the where, but the what of Jesus' teaching and actions that Luke's concerned that we take note of. So as some may recall, from a Jewish point of view, the Samaritans were ethnic half-breeds with a corrupted Bible and a corrupted form of worship. And strict Jews would not have even set foot in Samaria. They would have done all that they could to go cross the Jordan to get north. And yet, just like Jesus' pursuit of the Samaritan woman, Jesus pursues true worshipers among those who really need it the most. So the scene begins with Jesus entering an unnamed village in this region in which he's immediately confronted by these ten lepers standing at a distance, as the law of Moses would prescribe, and lifting up their voices for mercy. So we see this cry for mercy in verses 12 and 13. Cries for mercy don't flow from the lips of people who think they're just fine. These lepers knew their condition. Every waking moment was a reminder of it. They felt that condition. They were, as we would call it today, self-aware. They knew their disease was no minor illness. The law of Moses demanded that they live isolated lives from those who were clean and that they would warn all who passed by, unclean, unclean, they were to cry out. So isolating lepers was not merely just to reduce the spread of disease, though we know that that would have been a, a certain benefit. 
But more significantly, it was to remove the impurity that it represented from among the people, among God's community. In addition to being a horrible infectious disease that affects the skin and the peripheral nerves and the upper respiratory tract and the eyes in particular, the Bible often uses leprosy as a graphic illustration of sin's destructive power on the soul. We see this time and again. As one writer notes, he says, lepers looked as though they had just climbed out of the grave. Another notes, the leper was thus like a walking corpse. And his cure would have been likened to raising the dead. So someone as good as dead, who dwells in a community of the walking dead, you might say, needs a cure at the level of resurrection. Right? They need someone with the ability to cleanse them so thoroughly and so completely that all would know the walking dead have been brought back to life. So these lepers cry, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. And their cry is for Jesus to have pity and to demonstrate compassion, to grant cleansing, healing, and a restoration of their life personally, but also to the community to which they've been ostracized. That they would once again know life. In verse 14, we see the healing word. And what happens next is unconditional love for the unloveliest of people. Rather than touching these lepers, as Jesus did for the man full of leprosy in Luke chapter 5, Jesus simply speaks. He tells these lepers to go show themselves to the priest. Now, showing themselves to the priest was likely the ultimate dream for these lepers. I mean, you can, you can imagine, they, they probably rehearsed that scene. The glory, they knew what that would mean. Perhaps that would be similar to the person with that terminal cancer diagnosis and the dreaming of hearing a doctor one day say, you are cancer-free, right? Or in, maybe in a, some way, the, the ringing of the bell that we often see as someone finishes their final treatment that may not give them the full cancer-free you know, evaluation, but, but nonetheless, it's a symbol of passing a significant mile marker. Maybe these lepers had dreamed of that moment of going before the priest and hearing those words, you're clean. Well, as these lepers began to run to the priest, they were cleansed. And as one writer notes, he said, it was a mass healing. There were no mirrors to reflect the dramatic change, but they saw it instantly in themselves. From cadaverous faces, reemerged ears, noses, eyebrows, lashes, hairlines, feet, toeless, ulcerated stubs were suddenly whole, bursting, shrunken sandals. Knobby appendages grew fingers. Barnacled skin became soft. It was like ten new births. It's hard for us to imagine doing anything different ourselves than what these lepers did as they ran to the priests, astounded at their restored health, right? But it's clear what the right response should have been 
as we keep reading. Luke makes it crystal clear for us. There's no mystery as to who healed these lepers. The mercy and power of Jesus cleansed them from a deathly disease. Sadly, though, only one of the ten responded appropriately. Now, there's more at work in the story, but if we pause for a moment, can't we admit we love to identify with the one, right? <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm, that's me. But if we're honest, don't our lives reflect more of the thankless nine than the thankful one? We can shake our heads at the ungrateful nine, but how often does mer- the mercy and power of Jesus go unnoticed? unappreciated, without thanks in our lives. Have you reflected much on the past year? Maybe you'll do that today. Maybe you'll spend some time talking about the last day. Certainly these five and a half weeks between Thanksgiving and New Year's, the question comes up more regularly. How has that gone for you? Did Jesus not pour out His mercy on you in 2022 in tremendous ways? Was your Savior not full of compassion to you this year. Perhaps you were not healed of a terminal illness. Very, very few can say that. But should Thanksgiving not flow from those most informed of the person and work of Jesus? In the weeks leading up to to Thanksgiving, uh, Rachel will often tape up uh, paper Thankfulness turkeys. Uh, perhaps you've seen these or somewhere. Maybe it's original to us. Who knows? One for each family member. Turkey on the wall. And each night during dinner, the point is to add a little feather with the writing on it of something that we're thankful for. It's a great exercise. It's really good, especially with young kids. But I got to admit, by that seventh or eighth feather, I'm starting to repeat. I'm like, is mom still up there? We'll put her up there two or three times. Church, we got that covered. Okay. And I re- it, it's, as, it's as convicting as it is encouraging. Are we quick? Are we exhaustive? Are we aware of God's work among us? Well, the story continues as the thankful one returns to the feet of Christ. And in verses 15 through 16, we see a solitary thanksgiving. Verse 15, one of the the healed lepers breaks from the ecstatic group of ten, turning back to Jesus to do the one needful thing, to praise God with a loud voice, to fall at His feet in adoration and love and grateful worship. As the text says, giving Him thanks. The Greek words for loud voice might be recognizable to our English ears. Megales phones, to which we eventually get megaphone. And with even more passion than his initial cry for mercy, this thankful leper lifts up his God-given megaphone in praise of the Savior. And beginning our service this morning, we very intentionally sang the words of Come Christians Join to Sing, 
loud praise to Christ our King. Let all with heart and voice before His throne rejoice. Praise is His gracious choice. Alleluia. Amen. Brothers and sisters, for those of us who have been cleansed by the blood of Christ, who have been brought theologically we know from death to life through the resurrection power of Christ, wimpy, half-hearted praise simply will not do. May such tepid, listless, weak, apathetic, lukewarm praise never be the norm for the saints of Eden Baptist Church. As the saints gather on the Lord's Day, bring your megaphone. For we come in the same spirit as this thankful leper. At least we should. Verse 16 makes special mention that this grateful leper was a Samaritan. Luke has made other similar jabs, if we want to call them that, throughout his gospel that foreigners or pagans, non-Israelites, outsiders, are exhibiting better responses to Jesus' proclamation of the kingdom than even those Israelites who have been set apart as God's chosen people and have received for millennia the precious promises of God. This Samaritan displays his loving affection for Jesus by prostrating himself on the ground, that typical ancient posture of devotion and worship, signaling wholehearted thanksgiving. It's hard to not take something serious when your entire body is flat on the ground. Complete servitude. We see in verse 17 through 19, Jesus' divine assessment of the situation. In typical rabbi fashion, Jesus asks a provocative, even though an obvious, question. Were not ten cleansed? Where are the nine? Jesus clearly assumes the obligation of thanksgiving in this scenario. Ten asked for mercy. Ten received mercy. Ten should be at Jesus' feet expressing thanksgiving. But there's only one. Earlier, Luke describes in chapter 4, how Jesus is rejected in Nazareth after reading from the scroll of the prophet Isaiah in the synagogue. All eyes are fixed in amazement on him at his audacity to say, Today, this scripture is fulfilled in your midst. Shocking. And in verse 27, just flowing a little bit from that, that text, Luke writes, And there were many lepers in Israel in the time of the prophet Elisha. Harking back to the text that Dave read earlier. And none of them was cleansed, but only Naaman the Syrian. In chapter 7, Jesus heals the centurion's servant who confidently trusts in Jesus to but speak the word, and the healing would take place. And he declares in amazement, I tell you, not even in Israel have I found such faith. Again, a little bit of that jab. A similar point is being made here. Of all people, a Samaritan, a foreigner, 
is the one who is exemplifying true gratitude for the power and the mercy of Jesus. Well, as Gentiles, got to be pretty much all of us here, we may not precisely fit that Jewish audience to which Jesus is directing these indictments. Nevertheless, how common is it, sadly, for those of us who are just familiar with the Bible, familiar with the doctrines laid down in the Scriptures, that in that familiarity we simply diminish the significance and the importance of it all, of the person and work of Christ. Perhaps you're a teen or a young adult. You've grown up in a Christian home and in a good church, maybe this church, maybe another church. And if you're honest, you've heard the teachings of the Bible a lot, so much. But they just don't affect your soul. It's just, meh. I know that. Heard that before. Familiar with that. Rings a bell. Got it. Yeah, yeah, that's that and that's that, which means this. And I know, I know. I've heard it forever. That type of thing. Why is that? Well, perhaps this is because you don't really think that you have all that much in common with this leper. But what if your spiritual leprosy is worsening with every passing year? And if you could see the real state of your soul, it would look as gross and disfigured as the fingers and toes and eyes of a leper. Now imagine for a moment you can actually see the effects of that spiritual leprosy in the same way physical leprosy can be observed. Would you not cry out for mercy for the, to the one who can actually do something about it? Whether you're not a Christian or, or you claim to be a Christian but you find your heart in a similar state of apathy and just I don't care as non-Christians, the counsel's the same. Will you open your eyes and see how much of a death sentence your independent, insolent pride is to you? You have been deceived into thinking that real happiness is found in the deathly company of spiritual lepers, delighting in their deadness and failing to comprehend the need of new birth. So brother or sister, the Bible's call is urgent. Feel your need of the power and mercy of Jesus and believe by faith that He alone can heal. We read in verse 19, Rise, Jesus says, and go your way. Your faith has made you well. The verb translated made you well might also be rendered has saved you, as the Christian Standard Version translates it. Jesus makes this very same statement in the and at least six other places in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And in each circumstance, the point is obvious. Jesus is the healer. Jesus is the healer. 
but the exercise of faith, your faith has saved you, that phrase, but the exercise of that faith in Jesus as the healer is the Spirit-given human instrument through which Jesus does the healing. Let's make no mistake about this. The glory doesn't go to the faith exercised, but to the object doing the saving. The, the analogy is not perfect, but it might be compared to swallowing a pill that contains healing medicine. Your swallowing healed you only in the sense that it was the accompanying necessary human activity that allowed the medicine to heal you, right? Now here we must be very careful to not believe, as, as some would contend, that God's healing is commensurate with the measure of our faith. And if we aren't seeing or experiencing healing in our present bodies right now, it's because we aren't believing properly or we aren't believing enough sort of a prosperity gospel. This is not Jesus' point. And it is a twisted, man-centered way of manipulating people. We'll return to this in just a few moments. But in the meantime, back to the story. Clearly, there is a huge difference, though, between being merely physically or ceremonially cleansed, like the, the ten, really, and being truly spiritually saved. Although the ten were healed and had some degree of faith that Jesus' words had cleansed them as they made their way to the priest, only one was brought into a saving relationship with the Savior. For it's only to one that Jesus says, your faith has saved you. The other nine certainly experienced the spillover blessing of Jesus displaying His power and mercy, but only one worshipped in thanksgiving and praise. Only one was saved. So a fairly familiar text. Pretty familiar story. Many have heard since their earliest memories in a church. But how would we respond? How might we respond to this text this morning? Certainly not limited to these, but here are a few possible responses. First, we should know the severity of the sin of ingratitude. How often do the letters in the New Testament begin with some form of thanksgiving to God and a call for the Christian community to offer continuous thanksgiving to God for the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the Spirit's ongoing work among them? So many, so often. Paul details in Romans chapter 1, the reasons for God's just wrath against the unrighteous is this, for although they knew God, they did not honor Him as God or give thanks to Him. But instead, they became futile, just empty in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened, claiming to be wise. They became fools. When we fail to thank the Creator and to honor the Savior, can I say this? We go nuts. <laughs> we flip the world upside down and try to convince one another it's normal. It's not. 
we are hardwired to know and love God. And to fail to thank Him is a high-handed slap in the face to the God of the universe. It is wicked. Thanklessness for the power and mercy of Jesus' death and resurrection is as serious as heaven and hell. A deadly combination of no saving faith and no wholehearted gratitude for Jesus' atoning work damns sinners to hell. The reason is because we invariably swap something else for Jesus. And we end up, as Paul says in Romans 1, worshiping the creature rather than the creator. We love swapping Jesus out for lesser things. Perhaps you've seen this at at big milestone moments in people's lives from time to time. It seems like it's becoming somewhat popular in today's world to write words of tribute and thanksgiving to yourself. (laughs) I just want to take a moment and just thank my high school self. Man, I just made some great choices. Um, I'd also, I'd be remiss if I didn't mention my college self. Great job there, really worked hard. And it's, it's as if sometimes you witness, you might read this, social media or stuff, a, a soliloquy and, and this tribute back to you know, yourself. And it's, it's kind of awkward to read. You think, this is, yeah, this is not right. Really, really dependent creatures just pointing all the arrows back to themselves? No, it's life turned upside down. It's wrong. And while that's technically a kind of thanksgiving, it misfires because the object of the tribute is all wrong. May we have a healthy fear for the gravity of the sin of ingratitude. Next is, may God help us to grow in, and this is probably not a word, in the speediness of our gratitude. I think you understand what I mean. The quickness. Some tasks should not be done fast, right? That glorious whatever family recipe that you made probably should not be whipped up in five minutes, right? Some things deserve time, and they should. But other tasks really need to be done quickly, right? It is a very common occurrence, and maybe I've done this with some of you, but if there's a, hey, can we get together this week? It's, it's not good for me to say, you know, 2023 is looking pretty wide open. We'll run into each other again, right? If I don't take an action, uh, I'm going to send you an email or you send me an email. I'm going to punch this into my calendar right now. Uh, bad things are going to happen <laughs> or there's going to be a faltering on that action. A speediness in that particular task is really helpful. Perhaps you're the same. You can relate. John Calvin once wrote, he said, We have short memories in magnifying God's grace. Every blessing that God confers upon us perishes through our carelessness if we are not prompt and active in giving thanks. What a delight it is to be in the company of people who are quick to give thanks to God. Don't you enjoy the presence of people who are quick 
and are speedy about giving thanks to God, deflecting praise to, to God, and to seeing, seeing His work and observing the work of Jesus in all sorts of ways, it almost rightly colors the way you ought to be viewing the world. And they are just a joy to be with because deep down we know it's the way life ought to be ordered. Right? On the contrary, what a drain, that icky feeling that we described earlier to be in the company of those who are just quick to speak of their own self-made accomplishments with no vestige of thanksgiving to anything outside their own courage and determination. God help us to be quick to give thanks in all circumstances and for all the ways He helps us. Next, that we would express gratitude in the midst of life's suffering. It's easy for us to think that gratitude is reserved for the good moments. Uh, gratitude is for that you know, post-game interview where the person has just scored the winning touchdown or something like that, and we, we, we come to kind of expect that sometimes. I'd like to thank so-and-so, and, and it's easy to let it roll when, it, when the good times are, are there. But the presence of suffering does not negate the need for disciplined gratitude in our lives. The story serves as a powerful illustration of God's deeper purposes in physical suffering, or at least it naturally brings the question to mind. You may well identify, as has already been prayed here this morning, with the pain, even the physical chronic pain paralleled in the cries of the lepers. And no doubt this world is broken. Our bodies are subject to what seems like a countless number of diseases and ailments, but although our outward body perishes, God, by His grace, intends to continually renew our inner man until we see Him face to face. We've sung of this, at least in a couple different of the songs this morning. There are those who will receive healing from God in this life. Some of them will not bow the knee to God. That will happen, and it won't feel fair. Really? The life they've lived and they've miraculously healed? You've got to be kidding me. If anybody deserves what I'm feeling, it's, it's that person. Those sorts of thoughts. Brother or sister, remember this. Jesus will heal you. He will. It's not, it's not a question. Jesus will heal you. The timing, though, the when, it's His prerogative. It could be as you take that last breath in this life and feel the joy of being pain-free in the life to come. But He will heal you. He always cares for His children. Take courage in that. And we, it's right for us to pray sooner than later, Lord, please, please bring relief. But He is not cruel. He is always, always good. And as such, He is always worthy of your praise and thanksgiving. And lastly, root your gratitude in Christ. 
Be watchful that your gratitude goes deeper than just those spillover blessings of God's general mercy to all people. Certainly there was a kind of gratitude among the thankless nine. They did as Jesus said. They enjoyed the spillover blessing of Him healing them. And yet, it was only to one that your faith has saved you. Judas, Hymenaeus, Alexander, others, even unnamed in the Scriptures, who made shipwreck of their faith, no doubt experienced countless spillover blessings of being associated with Jesus and His followers. But were they true worshipers of the King? We have the luxury in Scripture of saying, no, they were not connected to Him. I know some wonderfully sweet people who are kind, generous, loving, deflective, don't like to be the center of attention, humble by every external measure, but they are not worshipers of Jesus. You know people like that as well. The routine of being thankful may be good for your blood pressure, as that Forbes article was pointing out earlier. It may be good for your mental health on a purely physical level, but the only kind of gratitude that is of enduring significance is gratitude that is expressed through faith in Christ and the worship of His name. So, brothers and sisters, if your sins have been cleansed by the blood of Christ, your spiritual leprosy has been washed clean. Like the lepers in the story, Jesus has opened His heart of mercy toward you and has brought you from death to life through the gospel. Your great high priest has declared you spotless. Will you run from Jesus? away from Him in this year to come? Enjoying His blessings, but on your own terms? Or will you return to Him prayerfully that your heart would be filled with perpetual amazement and astonishment that a sinner like you could be made new? In this new year that's before us, bring your megaphone. Polish it up. Bring it. Not just on the Lord's Day, but especially on the Lord's Day, but in all of life. Make it crystal clear you aren't over the glory of Jesus, the past thing you once knew. Make it crystal clear the splendor of Jesus' saving grace has not been lost on you. And may the saving faith of the cleansed Samaritan leper Remind us of our own need to run to Jesus in thanksgiving for His saving power and mercy.